Well, greetings, friends, and welcome to the Gospel Underground Podcast. This is episode 109, Formula 109, <laughs> I guess that's 409, the science of morality. We are broadcasting live, Jesse, live for us from the worldwide headquarters here in Blacksburg, Virginia, worldwide headquarters of the Gospel Underground. My sabbaticaling friend with the hunting hat and fishing, hunting. I put a collar shirt on because I knew you were going to film this. But it's, oh yeah, yeah, it's probably only second or third time I've had a collar on during my sabbatical. You've been like flip flops, no shirt or tank top at the house, kind of. <laughs> those some of those flip flops you can open a beer with on the bottom. I don't have those, uh, but I do. I can open a beer with my um, with my pocket knife. Right, yeah. if, if you're making like beer battered shrimp or something, beer battered shrimp, or if you want to open like um like a fancy soda. Oh yeah, you know? yeah, craft beer, craft soda. We yeah, like it here yeah. on the underground. We are not beholden to silly things, Jesse, but we care about the good. Thank you for joining me. I know we're a little tight on time today. Man, it's you're good making to a be great, here. Yeah, great it's effort. good to be here. Uh, it is a beautiful day in Blacksburg. A little stormy, but. It is. It's it's, uh, it's nice. The grass is green because it's been raining a lot. Been raining a lot. And uh, we were just talking before we jumped on the show, guys, about I was bragging on Kylene. I've been going to a lot of soccer games. Mm. My daughter's a junior at Blacksburg High School. They're like 9-0 and and scored like a million goals and given up one this year. And uh, we play Christiansburg High School, local rivalry mm. in all sports. Um the and Bruins so against the Demons. We're going to put it on them, I think. Yeah. At least that's Down with the Demons. Down with the Demons. Demons always wrong. The yep. devil, Blue, Duke, Blue Down Devils. With the devil. are, yeah, get down with always, Duke. Always bad. Go Tar so, Heels. When you think about goodness in the world and badness, when you think of Duke, you think of badness. <laughs> it's evil, guys. If you're listening out there, Brent Malcolm, Willie Pyle, I'm talking to you. Duke Blow Devils, you should leave you just that know it behind. Too. You know it. There's some. There's a moral guide in us. It's deep down in your yeah. soul, in your gut, and you know. And or just take basic maxims. Uh, the the Diabolos is not good, whether he's blue or whatever. <laughs> well, Jesse, today we are rounding the corner in our series. We're finishing up a look at kind of the historical trajectory of what the world. By that we mean the since the denial of God, trying to ground morality scientifically. Of course, we looked through the history of, say, the Enlightenment, where the, the idea is like, hey, we need to look at our feelings now and study us rather than looking for uh, corresponding our lives to what is good. We're like, hey, well, what do people like? Then maybe we'll find good there. Utilitarianism that says, hey, whatever gives the most pleasure or the best results, maybe that's good. And certainly... Uh, last time together, we looked at the kind of comeuppance of the denial of God in ethics, which really uh, kind of burned down the ethical house, so to speak, uh, in Western civilization. We, so we looked at things like existentialism, critical epistemology, meaning, hey, this truth stuff, this morality stuff, this goodness stuff, just a power game. We need to deconstruct all truth and power claims. And we're left with cultural relativism. Hey, what's that's what they think. What's what we think. Tribalism. Well, maybe we're going to fight about it. Uh, and then certainly in our culture, the emergence of need neo-nationalisms and neo-racisms and uh, the splintering of people along all sorts of lines. We need someone to fight, 
So we are now fighting each other in our culture. In fact, there was a good article. I'm not going to mention much about this, Jesse, but there's a good article in the Atlantic this week. Um, I think the title was America isn't split in half. It's divided into four, looking at kind of the ideological uh, homes of four different camps in modern American life. Good, good, good read if you want to hit that up. So where we are with this series today, Jesse, we're going to look at um, kind of the new science of morality, which is kind of like a a mixture of some of the Enlightenment ideas with some new technological innovations in studying the human beings. So I just want to remind everyone why uh, we're hitting this up, because we're about to take a turn over the next several episodes. Today we finish up, hey, say, here's what the world looks at today. And we're going to look at that both in an intellectual and academic sense, but also in a kind of a popular on the street sense. Where are things today? And then we're going to look at this moral sense or this idea that the good and the just is real, right? Moral ontology. We can know it, uh, moral epistemology, and how that really helps us talk to others about God, the source of all moral value and goodness, and then the one who gives us his uh, callings in the world, which then turn into our moral duties that we have to do to do the good and shun evil. So that's going to be a big change. We're going to look at some certain ideas from thinkers like uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., C.S. Lewis, even uh, a, a Christian philosopher today, William Lane Craig, over the next coming episodes. But today, Jesse, the current science, right? The current science of morality. Nobody's comfortable with being left with relativism. Uh, well, there is no right and wrong. Uh, this moral nature that we walk in every day when we see things that are outrageous or we think things are wrong, uh, secular people uh, who are denying that this has anything to do with God still want to ground morality. And so the the mixture that's being used is a little different. It's kind of like if you're, you know, baking a cake or I made sausage and peppers last night for our family. So I had all my ingredients. I sliced and chopping it up, man, some garlic and peppers. I put a little jalapeno in there for me, took out the seeds, not too hot for them. Uh, but you, if you were making a recipe, today's secular uh, view of morality throws in a little neuroscience. Yeah with evolutionary biology, along with a, a term we've heard earlier in the series, social goals yeah. or societal goals. And you have to have these together. And so the way it and works... And you're, saying, you're yeah. saying the average the average person is, is sort of creating their own sausage and peppers. Hey, absolutely. In yeah. fact, the academic uh, cross-disciplinary is making sausage and peppers yeah. and trying to understand morality. Yeah. And then downstream from kind of the intellectual ideas of a culture, it is kind of working its way out into the streets. And certainly we hear this from our teenagers of how people, what they use in their moral reasoning. And it's usually a mixture of human beings, what they are as evolved creatures uh, from lower primates. Yeah. So we look at chimpanzees, bonobos, that kind of thing, and say, oh, they're kind of nice. Maybe we should be nice. Uh, neuroscience, looking at the moral forming properties of the human brain, uh, along with, okay, 
what do, what do we want yeah. together as society? Yeah. So um, Nedaleski and Hunter, they call this a new synthesis. And the reason why it is something new, because it's using like brain imaging technology and uh, new insights into altruism that comes from evolutionary ethics. It's a little dangerous uh, when you start talking about morality from evolution because you're dealing with survival and the law of the jungle, so to speak. Uh, but when you, you know, we could study ants and ants want to be nice because they care about the group and not just the individual survival and so these things are what they're calling a new synthesis because it all gets jumbled up but i think it may it's clear in a quote in in uh, science and the good where they say this this new synthesis view of morality has four basic elements so this is your ingredients for your sausage and peppers Mm. right four basic ingredients number one a humean this is after david hume mind focused sentimentalism okay we'll get into this Mm. in a minute Number two, a Darwinian evolutionary account of why the mind has the traits it does or why the brain has the traits it does. Third, a human interest base. This is societalism, utilitarianism about morality, all embedded within, number four, a strident naturalism. No God allowed. God is locked out of this view, committed to an empirical study of the world or scientific study of the world. So that's a lot of gobbledygook <laughs> in terms of uh, language. But, Jesse, but, that, but that's a really... I think a really clear, uh, even if it is a little bit of gobbledygook, which you're going to explain in a minute. Yeah, it, I do think that's that um, coheres with my my uh, my suspicions. Talking with the average person, yeah, uh, people that are coming to church or people that aren't coming to church that that I talk to, that these are their sort of um, um, their systems that they tr- or their the inputs, their inputs that they trust. These yeah. are the trusted inputs yeah. and. And they're downstream, right? They're eating the sausage and peppers. That's they, right. They're, they're That's not really right. looking upstream at, you know, the, the four different things that synthesize. That's right. Um, but That's I, right. I think that I think that that's a really helpful way to put it. It is. It is. I think these four things and, outline and the, and the Humean mind. Uh, the, the sentimentalism, we talked about that. Yeah, a couple episodes That's ago, right. Yeah. right. So this is not a new idea. This is from the Scottish uh, philosopher David Hume, who said, don't look for morality outside of ourselves. We have to study rationally through scientific methods, study human feelings about things. And so when we say Humean sentimentalism, here, here's, here's a clarification quote from, from the book. Do people believe in human rights because such rights actually exist? Now, Jesse, that's that's ontology, right? Moral yeah. realism. We would say human rights actually exist, right? Yeah. So this is uh, uh, obviously from a different point of view. Do people believe in human rights because such rights actually exist? Or do, do they feel revulsion in their emotions and sympathy when they read accounts of torture? And then they invent a story about universal human rights to justify their feelings. The human view is the latter. That what moral philosophers are really doing is consulting the emotive centers of their brains and then fabricating justifications for their feelings, right? Okay, this is important, y'all. Universal human rights, do those exist? Well, in the new modern synthesis, of course they don't, right? All there is nature, bumping matter, space, and time. There is no objective morality. There is no rights given to us by a creator like right. like our founding documents might say what happens is it is actually in the human brain so when somebody sees torture or something they like or something they're sympathetic to something happens Some synapse fires that's and right. it lights up in somewhere. the emo- very important in the emotional okay. centers 
uh, they light up. So your emotional brain lights up. We can put you in a tube, study your, you know, do some scans on your brain. Uh, when you see something, oh, icky, emotional centers light up there. You see something, oh, I like that. That's nice. Most you know, things light up in the brain. So what's done with that then is like, oh, because I think this is yucky, I'm going to make up a story. Mm. Maybe universal human rights. And we'll tell that story, get other people to believe that story so that we don't have to have the icky things around us anymore. The hard part about that, Jesse, it makes um, a call, say like Dr. King's the letter from Birmingham Jail that we'll look at, uh, a call to objective good or something that we ought to do differently. It makes it a little bit of nonsense of the bumping of somebody's brains. Yeah. Now, in in looking at in, in his book, there there's quoted a guy named Paul Thargard. Uh, his book, "The Brain and the Meaning of Life," Princeton University Press, two thousand and ten. This quote is really really helpful. Innovations in neuroscience are important because they help us answer basic questions about morality, namely why you might be concerned with the goals and well-being of people beside yourself. In the new moral science, it turns out uh, that people, here's a quote from uh, Thargard, uh, have special kinds of neural populations that make concern for others very natural. In other words, in other words, um, they're, they're trying to use neuroscience to explain how it is that um, we still have altruism, self-sacrifice, you should care about anyone else yeah. when when uh, evolutionary survivalism would say this is actually your this is a waste of time at best. That's right, and potentially right. weakens your own chance of survival, survival. and, and right. you know, likely. And so, th- so these they're trying to really kind of bring these together, bring them together. In fact, Jesse. Um, uh, evolutionary psychology, which was one of the things that came out of the Enlightenment later on after Darwin, was repudiated uh, as a social philosophy or an ethical guide um, because people said, well, what's true? Well, the law of the jungle. Well, then we should have social Darwinism, right? right. Well, we are as natural creatures, yep. uh, the survival of the fittest. And so people began, this is like late 19th, early 20th century, led to all kinds of evil stuff. Like, oh, these people are less fit. These are less evolved, yeah. right? Some very racist ideas involved with that. Um, and so social Darwinism was rejected. Now, it made an appearance again in history, mainly through a guy named, I think his name was Wilson, his study of ants. Um, so you look at ants and how they act as a group. And so the redemption of evolutionary psychology as a moral thesis really came through group altruism. Okay, so maybe it's not just the genes of this central nervous system creature or or, or lesser evolved creature uh, that determines its survival or not. Maybe some creatures learned that if they, you know, carry water for each other and, and not just kill each other, that the group has... Uh, greater survivability. Mm-hmm. Now, why ought you care about the group? Well, then you don't answer that question. Uh, you just say, oh, well, you know, chimpanzees do it or, or bonobos do it. And then when you can look at the human brain through neuroscanning, right? Oh, our emotions are involved. Our brains are involved. So the brain, what, when they say very natural, they mean our brains were made to maybe interact this way by nature, not created by God, but by nature. And so how, how would that happen? Well, evolutionary advantages, right, would make morality important. Again, this is a um, a book by a man named Franz Vanderwall. 
the bonobo and the atheist. You know you want to read that, Jesse. The, the bonobo. That's that's a that's a primate, um, a common that shares common ancestry with human beings. Uh, the bonobo and the atheist. And this is a quote from Van de uh, Waal. The moral law is not imposed from above or derived from well reasoned principles. He just rejected both the pre-modern idea of yeah. telos from the ancients, right? Both from uh, Jews, Aristotle, Greeks, Christians, yeah. Aristotle, right? The, the moral law is not imposed from, from, from outside of ourselves or derived from well-reasoned principles. That's the Enlightenment. So this is a rejection of both for a new synthesis. He goes, rather, it arises from ingrained values that have been there since the beginning of time. The most fundamental one derives from the survival value of the group. I don't know what he means by from the beginning of time. I, I'm guessing just the big bang of matter, space, time, yeah. and energy, uh, and that the laws of physics unleash this in the world. And so the survival of the group is the part of this naturalistic, uh, from nothing to everything to you and to me and our good and bad, evil and good, you know, musings, uh, was really so that, you know, you could keep you know, keep your babies from like being torn apart, you know, by baboons on the savannah or something like, like that. So, so first, uh, the idea of neuroscience, looking at this faculty and the emotional capacity of the brains, how evolutionary advantages of the group. And then finally, this idea of utilitarianism, uh, social goals, what makes us happy or at least enough of us happy? How do we know? Well, We'll take a poll, right? Mm-hmm. This is very common today, right? That we think that what's right? Well, what do we want? And then if once we know like, hey, maybe a social goal would be like, let's say income equality. Then you look at the means by which you could get income equality. Maybe you could go Mad Max in the world, right? And just like steal from a bunch of folks so that you could have more and everything. Oh, maybe, maybe that's not good because people get hurt. They start shooting people. They have these cars with like, uh, you know, razors on them and like, you know, uh, it's going bad for everybody in the road warrior world. So maybe that's not a good means. So maybe there's a way we would tax people or, or shift things around that way. And so maybe that's better. And so ethics then is viewed as this outcome creation towards what goals we have. You could have many paths towards a certain goal, which path causes the least pain and gives the most uh, pleasure. And so quote from another scholar, Philip Kitchener, once ethic is viewed as a social technology directed at particular functions, this very engineering type language, recognizable facts about how those functions can be better served can be adduced in inferences justifying ethical novelties. So all that all that means in Kitcher's quote, Jesse, is that, hey, we're going to engineer societal goals and then morality is kind of the social technology we use to accomplish goals. And that usually is dictated by some sort of utilitarianism. So here you go. You got a brain that's wired by evolution uh, for experiencing ickiness or yumminess. We'll call that good and bad. We study the creature's responses to that to take care of each other. Maybe evolution created altruism. And then the group matters. You call that society. And then we create technologies, which we call the moral uh, values that we share, uh, and then we make them duties that other people have to share in order to achieve what we're trying to accomplish, social goals. All of this, number four, of course, from Hunter Nedaleski was a strident naturalism. No God allowed, right? And they summarize it this way. One strain of naturalism seeks to provide 
empirical scientific observation only for all of reality fitting into the domain of interacting physical particles. This would render purely metaphysical or transcendent accounts of reality not only unnecessary, but unthinkable. So the modern academic quest, Jesse, the new scientific quest, if you will, uh, is to put these things together. Brains that were made for ickiness and survival. Group love to take care of each other. Societal goals. And then you go back from that to say, oh, let's create means to those goals. We'll call that morality. You see any problems there at all? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yes. I, I was just uh, thinking about how the strident naturalism is in some ways more than just the fourth, um, you know, more than just the peppers in the dinner, right? And in some ways, it is the the driving part of the equation. Yeah, the the, it's the, the, uh, the pre presupposition or the yeah. chef because uh, it's what makes sense of the other things, right? That's like right. if that's, that's your right. worldview, if that's your uh, the way that you look at, ha- at reality, yeah, uh, then the other things do. S- you find ways to make them make sense, right? And you have to you, almost. Because you, because you have to, right? Because and, the good is necessary, right? But if, if uh, so, yeah, anyway, I was just looking at that backwards. Like, yeah. you have to begin with strident naturalism uh, in some ways in order to go go the other ways. That's and, right. That's right. And, and the same cr- criticism of a um, maybe a, a worldview that, that thinks things are given. Yeah, yeah, that, um, yeah. Would be that that it's it's uh, maybe unverifiable or right. scientific. Yeah, but in some yeah. ways, th- this is. I mean, how do you how do you test your hypothesis about the evolutionary advantages on uh, that groups hold in human human history? Yeah, you, it's it's un, it's an untestable hypothesis because right. it's a historical. But it makes idea. sense if you've started yeah. with. Yeah, we're in a close. You know, Michael B. He's most recent book, Darwin Devolves. He he, okay. he has a section in there how almost evolution is used as like a magic word or almost like a pseudo creator like look what evolution did well, uh, we, yeah we know something like mother earth here yeah it's like evolution did this we don't say how it did this but yeah. hey the bonobos they like free love and like being nice so maybe we sh- we're like the bonobos and yeah. so this dictates you know why we are moral um the problems uh, oh, arise yeah. all over the place. Um, why, because look, objective morality or morality itself uh, not only says that there is good, but there's also this kind of moral duty associated with it. Not only should you value what is truly valuable, but you ought to do the good and shun evil. And certainly there's nothing right that says that we have to do this. Now, I asked this question of a, of a philosophy professor years ago uh, at Virginia Tech when I was in campus ministry here. I was taking ancient Greek philosophy, and I was like, hey, look, if, if he was like, why do you believe in a God that judges people? I was like, well, look, man, uh, there will be justice for everyone for things done in the body, whether good or bad, when you die. Uh, and he goes, really? You believe that's important? I was like, yes, because look, if there is no life after death and there is no judgment or accountability for what we've done in this life, it makes no difference to me whether I live as the very nicest person or as the most evil person. When I'm dead, I'm just dead. He goes, uh, he goes, well, he, he was like, that's a pretty interesting point. I was like, and, and let me ask you this. And I asked him this. 
why should anyone accept the morality that the herd is giving them, right? You smart people tell us, well, these are good societal goals. Who says those are right or wrong, right? Seems kind of arbitrary. Maybe that's just what the Republicans want or what the Democrats want. Why should I care about that? Why should I do them? He goes, well, uh, and he didn't believe in free will. So he didn't think we had a choice anyway. And I was like, so how can you even hold a person accountable? Dumb guy like me who believes in God. Why? It's not even my fault. He said, well, we do dam up rivers when they overflow their banks and do damage. I was like, whoa, 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 wait a second. So you're saying there's no free will, but these people are doing all this stuff. But some people will decide that this is a flood of a river and put sandbags on them or limit their choices, or put them in prison? He goes, yeah, pretty much. Well, in that world, well, the powerful oppress those who disagree. All dissenters, you should lose your free speech, yeah. right? Yeah. You should shut your mouth. You should get on the right side right of side the of issue. History. Yeah, right yeah. side of history. Lots of problems. So at the popular level, I know most people aren't thinking of their brains as motive centers and how evolutionary naturalism, group altruism makes them think about societal goals or do this or that. Uh, on a popular level, in, in them streets, right, what are people doing? Well, what is right? Well, we take a poll. What do, what do most people think? We democratize the feels, the feelings, right? Uh, and then we gang up on those who dissent. And this is where it's shocking, right? That stuff that was considered immoral maybe a decade ago or wrong two decades ago, all of a sudden has changed. And not only has it changed, anyone who dissents should be, the sandbag should be put up mm. uh, and they should be punished. Free speech, free speech be damned, right? Your, your speech is hurtful. We can't let you say that. Why? We don't like the tool of free speech anymore to achieve our societal goals. So we will we will put gags on people, right? And this is this is shocking that uh, both sides of our political discussions are both like uh, making encroachments on these basic liberal freedoms that um, the American system, at least, that came out of Western civilization, believed in. Why? Well, our social goals. If you talk and if you do this. You're doing violence. You're hurting people with your words. And so you need to be quiet. And, and both Republicans and Democrats are making these kind of arguments today. And I think we need to resist that sort of thing. So social goals, what are the real questions about them? Should we ask, are these goals right? Well, the modern synthesis would say that's the wrong question because they seem right to us now. Well, let's take a poll and get on the right side of history. Now, here's the thing. We will see... Uh, that this view is actually smuggling in old views of morality or right and wrong. Um, so if, if you will, like, hey, let's have a social goal. What's that? Well, is it right or wrong? Well, let's see what the best ways, I want you to hear these value languages, Jesse. What is the best way, what is the gooder way to achieve <laughs> that social goal? Um, maybe Mad Max is not as good, but this is the thing we're trying to say what good is. And we have no definition left. Maybe look, well, there's lots of ways to get the goal. Which one is better? We don't know. The one that makes the most people happy, run an experiment. We'll call the outcome good if it doesn't hurt a bunch of people. Sadly, this is human history. Uh, we do uh, social goals, experimentation, and with the hearts of humanity. Uh, if you have no moral compass outside of yourself, to guide the actions of us collectively and together, we literally, constantly, and repeatedly unleash hell on earth. We need a better way. So, Jesse, I think you're right on 
when you said, hey, maybe this idea of naturalism having to be assumed, having to be enforced, is the problem. Yeah, and, and really, uh, to, to view this Christianly, in some ways, we have to um, we have to settle into uh, a relationship with science, you know, with with yeah. naturalism, with uh, with how the world works and how it can be studied and verified. And and yeah, yeah science, scientia, knowledge, as it's rightly called, Latin term, scientia for knowledge, um, emerged out of people who believed in a rational order of the universe because they believed it was created. That's right. And that we can study it. It is orderly that we can come to conclusions scientifically. We have no war with science. We need to have science find its place, not by the denial of God, but for which God made us as rational creatures. That's right. Yeah, the battle isn't really between the you know the church and science or God and science, but it's really about these kind of uh, presuppositional kind of worldviews. Is does this? Um, you know, does the world uh, correspond to what God's created? Have we been? Are we? Are we? Can we have a ontological reality that we can we can find and we can search and we can That's empirically right. look at? And yeah. uh, or do we just it, which that which is. That's a good thing to do. That's, that's we, right. We wanna, that's right. We wanna, yeah. Science is a great thing. I have a degree in it. Uh, my undergraduate degree was applied computer science and physics. Um, I love that's it. That's why you're I'm, such a smart no, guy. No, it's not. No, we don't <laughs> We don't privy scientific knowledge over other knowledges. That's uh, scientism. My yeah. kids like yeah. math and science. Well, at least two out of three. Kayla does not at all. Doesn't mean she's not smart. She's brilliant. She just likes poetry and writing and other human aspects of mm. knowledge that are also important. But science, we have to talk about here, Jesse, because if you deny God, you're left with yourself, Yeah. right? Um, and here, here's the thing. The question mm. asked in the book, Science of the Good, when they look at this new synthesis is they said, look, science is helpful, but we have to see uh, what we're talking about when we talk about science grounding or giving the foundations for moral goodness or moral reality. Mm. And they talk about a level one commitment. That would be science demonstrating what is in fact good and bad, right and wrong, and how we should live. Has science done this? No, not even <laughs> close, right? Can't, right? right. Can't. It's, it's shown itself to be impotent. And this level two would be maybe there's some scientific evidence against some moral claims or theories like, hey, these this race of people is inferior to another race of people. Scientifically, we can look at that and repudiate these kinds of ideas. But level three uh, use of science and morality, uh, Hunter Nedaleski's described this way. I think this is very helpful. Uh, level three would say we would provide scientifically based descriptions of say the origins where morality comes from or the specific way or capacity for moral judgment is embodied in our neural brain architecture or whether human beings tend to behave in ways we consider moral or immoral evidence for these sorts of view doesn't tell us anything about the content of morality what is actually right and wrong but they speak to the human capacity for morality and in that sense, are interesting. Interesting. <laughs> interesting, right? So we got to realize there are limitations for yeah. what scientific study can do and cannot do. Can they look at how we, our brain uh, you know, functions neurochemically when we go through moral decision-making? Or we see something that is 
wicked and reprehensible. Mm. Yes, of course we can do those sorts of studies. They are interesting. They do not ground moral reality, nor can they give it to us. And they certainly can't tell us that we ought to do certain things. That has to come from another place. So is science good? Yes, science is good for some things. Yeah but only so good, right? Um, so what is the societal goal? Is it just? Is it evil? Who says based upon what? Why should we want to do that? Well, do we want to just randomly through power dam up the rivers and throw people in jail who dissent to some new morality, squelch their free speech? Well, no. We want to ground in something more than our scientific observations of ourselves, but rather human dignity objective moral values and duty that flow from the nature of the one who is good and then calls us to follow and do the good with one another. And we see that probably most clearly in the call to love God and to love our neighbors as ourselves or to do to others as we would have them do to us. That requires a moral imagination to say, hey, how should I treat that guy? in light of moral goodness and truth, that loving them rather than hating them or destroying them is actually good and virtuous. And then doing the good makes us, transforms us, right, Jesse? You're a virtue ethics fan, uh, into virtuous human beings. And that's all not just a lot of uh, made-up storytelling because we saw something icky that is vital to human flourishing in this age. And certainly we will be held accountable for our lives before God in the end. And eternity does indeed matter. I'll tell you what, man, I'm looking forward to, I hope I can get here for the next one. I know we got some vacation travels. You're, you're on sabbatical. We'll figure it out. I never know where I'm going to be the next day during sabbatical. You know, I'm, yeah, but you you might be down by the be river, trout or, fishing you know, down at the river. I, yeah, you know, but I'm but I'm looking forward to this because having a conversation with you here with at the Gospel Underground about um, uh, moral law, about um, you know, w- what can we base morals on? What can we base our ethics on? Uh, what's fair game for us as That's Christians? Right. What, right. What's what? You know, where might we land? That's right. Versus, and where would we say, "Hey, this is okay to be here," even though we land over here? I'm, I'm, I'm excited to have those conversations, Jesse. Where we're going is look, look, guys. We we did all this history, yeah, because you need to know what people around us actually think about life, right, and goodness. And this is a beautiful thing. God has made us moral creatures. When people see injustice and they're angry about it, that's something good and right and true. And we ought to talk to our friends about that and learn. Like C.S. Lewis said, hey, what's a crooked stick? You're mad at a crooked stick. How do we know it's crooked without something straight? So we're going to look at these Christian ways of thinking, not only using the moral intuition we have, but taking it somewhere. Yeah ultimately to the throne of grace. So we're going to be looking at various Christian thinkers on this, but also uh, as we close out the series after that, uh, a a simple method of sharing the gospel with Mm. people uh, because of the image of God. And they know we fall, we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely. This is what we bring the good news freely by his grace. Jesse, I hope we can be together as much as possible. We will navigate vacations. We will navigate sabbaticals. We will do it for the glory of God, the common good of the world and all our listeners. Thank you for joining us. The gospel underground podcast is produced in partnership with the Bonhoeffer House of Jesse Fury. Review us. Some of you guys have texted me recently. Hey, I'm loving this episode. Drop that on iTunes. 
It really does help, guys. Five stars are acceptable. Send your comments, feedback, questions that you might want us to take up here to info at gospelunderground.org. We are a dialogue taking place in the borderlands between the church and culture. Hope to see you out there. Peace. Peace.